We are so grateful to um, have you here. Uh, JD, thanks for coming down from College Side to be with us and to hang out a little bit with your brother. We, um, JD and I go back uh, to uh, Fall Creek Falls Bible Camp uh, many years ago when we used to torment David Brandt. That was our job when we got to camp, try to steal his IBC root beers. And sometimes we would succeed, and sometimes he would chase us with a wiffle ball bat. It just depended. Just depended. It's great to see you. Hey, if you're traveling through because of the holiday, again, we are grateful that you are here. We always have individuals who come and go, no matter the weekend it might be. And we always have individuals that we raise up here and then send off. We look at our congregation as being a sending congregation. We realize we're a very transient society and uh, people come and go and move around, you know, a lot. And there are a couple of different families that we want just to um, uh, recognize and let you guys know are, are going to be leaving. Uh, the Yoders are going to be leaving, I believe. I don't think they're here today. I think that actually their last Sunday was all, has already passed, but it wasn't mentioned that um, Dale and Miss Nell um, have been moving to Searcy, Arkansas. And so they are no longer going to um, be with us and uh, we greatly appreciate the time that they spent here as a part of our uh, congregation and the, the focus that they both had on reaching out and telling other people about Jesus Christ. It was a passion that they held, and we appreciated them bringing that passion here. We also are saying goodbye today uh, to Bryce and Katie Davidson and Baby Rhodes. Now, I know that you guys are, um, are back here. I think I saw you. There you go. There you are. And uh, man... Bryce and Katie, they came before there even was a Baby Rhodes, and just after they had gotten married, they came to be a part of our church family, and so we were the, the first church home for their new family, and we are so proud to have that distinction, but it's time for them to get closer to the grandparents, and it's time for them to get back home. I see Grandma said, yep, that's right, and so they're going to be moving on Tuesday to Columbia, Tennessee. Uh, they have promised that they're going to come back every once in a while, maybe, and to um, say hello. Uh, but please be sure to um, give a hug to Bryce and Katie and uh, Baby Rhodes. And uh, next time you see him, you'll even recognize the dude. He'll have hair. It'll be, um, it'll be great. But we're going to miss you guys. But we are so thankful for the time that you've been here, and especially for the way you poured into our young people and helped with our children's ministry and youth ministries. We greatly appreciate that. A couple of weeks ago, it was Mother's Day, and our family ended up at Outback. And we walked in, and there was this nice hostess area, and I went up to say how many we would have. And while I am standing there, I see just out of the corner of my eye some movement. And I look over, and there is a table that's just off to my right, and there is a group of young people who are doing like this. And I look, and I didn't recognize the young people, but I recognized the parents who were sitting there at the table. And I realized it was some people that I had grown up with at church years ago, and I was like, man, I didn't think that their kids really knew who I was, but that's pretty cool that they're all excited, you know. And they're, I look, and, and they're doing this. I'm like, man, that is great. And so I tell the hostess, I'm like, hey, just a minute, I'll be right back. And I turn, and I walk over, and as I'm walking to the table, the kids get up, and they come to meet me. And then they go right by me <laughs> to the family who was standing at the hostess area now who had, who had just come in. Uh, so I, 
I walked over to the parents and I was like, hey, how, how are you doing? And I said, uh, you know, silly me. I, I thought the kids were waving at, you know, at me. And, and they said, well, we looked over, we saw them waving and we saw you and we didn't think they knew you and we didn't know the people behind you. So we didn't know, but they were like, well, hey, glad, how are you? You know, we, we talked a little bit. Uh, that's how God humbles you sometimes, you know. Everybody enjoys being liked. Insert a Sally Field reference right here for those of you old enough to understand. Everybody wants to be liked, right? That's how we, that's how we I guess, are just wired. Here's something cool when you read through Scripture. Did you know that when you read through the Bible, that people who were nothing like Jesus liked Jesus? Did you know that? People who were nothing like Jesus at all actually liked Jesus when he walked in, everybody waved and said, hey, come on over here and, and why don't you sit, with, you sit with us? They invited him to their homes. They even invited their friends over to meet him. Friends who, like themselves, were nothing really like Jesus, but they liked Jesus. And here's something else you see as you read through the Gospels and you can't escape it. Jesus liked the people who were nothing like him. He did. And he was comfortable. He was comfortable with them. Over and over, we find Jesus mixing it up with people who, by their own admission, were very far from righteousness. They weren't close to God, and yet there they were, face to face, with righteousness personified. And they felt okay with that. And Jesus was okay with that. And he would even offer them sometimes an invitation. Now, it's not the invitation maybe that you would expect. He would just say two simple words. You know what those are? Follow me. Just, just follow me. When Jesus' ministry began, he found the nation of Israel divided over the issue of personal righteousness. That is, how does a person maintain a righteous relationship with God? Now, there was one camp that argued and said righteousness was all about being able to be righteous by the law. The law of Moses, the, the Old Testament commandments. That was where righteousness was found. But in order to do this, they had to practice the art of self-delusion because they had to dumb down the commandments in order to bring them in alignment with their behaviors that they did not intend on changing. And so if the law wasn't going to change and if I'm not going to be able to keep up with the law, then I need to well, I need to dumb things down a little bit because I'm not planning on making any type of change in my own life. Now, on the other side, on the other side of the righteous spectrum were those who refused to live in a perpetual state of denial regarding their personal unrighteousness. If the law was the standard, they knew that they could never be good enough with that law in earning God's favor, so they simply just kept their distance. So you had one side who desired to be close to God, but recognized that it was impossible, and yet pretended that it was so. And then you had another side who desired, said, okay, I don't know if I want to be close to God or not, but I know it's impossible to keep this law, so I am not even going to attempt it. And I'm just going to keep my distance. And they had mutual contempt for each other. The self-righteous and the self-condemned. The self-righteous considered themselves better than the admittedly unrighteous. And the unrighteous felt judged by the so-called righteous 
While at the same time, they saw the hypocrisy that these individuals are living, and they said, well, at least I'm not doing that. At least if I'm going to live far from God, I'm going to own it, you know? So by the time Jesus showed up, the temple had become one of the main areas where this division was pronounced. And so Jesus illustrates this by, by sharing a story probably based on an actual event. He says there were two men who went up to the temple to pray. One was a Pharisee and one was a tax collector. The Pharisee stood up and prayed about himself. God, I thank you that I am not like the other men, robbers and evildoers, adulterers, or even like, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give a tenth of all I have. And Jesus said the tax collector stood off at a distance. And he beat his chest. And he said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. And that pretty much summed it up. One group who thought they were better than what they were. And another group who knew they were not as good as they needed to be. And there they were together in the temple. The place where God would meet his people. The very design of the temple with its different gates and its different porticos and plazas, it stood as an invitation to sinners, both Jews and the non-Jewish. And the sacrificial system that would go on day in and day out with all of its blood and with all of its gore, it was a daily reminder of man's inability to gain a right standing with God through the keeping of the law and their behavior. You see, at the temple, there was really no room for self-righteousness, and there was no need to cower behind one's sinfulness. But somehow, they all just missed the point. We all missed it. The self-righteous chased sinners away, and in their own shame, the sinners just kept on running. And then Jesus showed up, and he came to break the stalemate. He came to shine a light of reality on the self-righteous and to offer those who were full of shame a way back. And there was this dude named Matthew that needed a way back. He had turned his back on his heritage. He had abandoned his religion. He was ostracized within his own community. All because of the choices that he had made. All because of the way that he went about getting his money. All because of the way he decided to make a living on the backs of his cousins, and of all of those in the community. But Jesus went up to him, and he said those two words, follow me. And crazy thing happened. Matthew followed. But Jesus didn't take him to the temple. Jesus took him home, to, to Matthew's home, that is. And Matthew began to call up and send out all the different uh, mailings that he could and get the note, notes out on social media. Hey, listen, I got a party going on at my house. And everybody came. And before long, Matthew's home was filled with fellow tax collectors along with a broad assortment of all those who were less than righteous, all the riffraff from around the city because that's who Matthew knew. And that's who Matthew hung out with. And that's who Matthew was comfortable with. And they dined on Matthew's food, and they drank his wine, along with Jesus and Jesus' disciples, who laughed and sang along with Matthew in his collection of social and religious outcasts. 
There under one roof was righteousness personified, celebrating right alongside unrighteousness. There it was, right there in the heat of a Middle Eastern afternoon. And Matthew's home, and I want you to get this, Matthew's home became a place of grace. And for a brief time, as a substitute temple of sorts, here the righteous and the unrighteous had come together and there was no pretense other than both saying, this is who we are. And Jesus was extremely comfortable because he liked people who were nothing like him. And I don't need to rush by this too quickly because Jesus, Jesus was not uncomfortable surrounded by those who most needed the bridge back to God that only God's grace could provide. Does that make sense? Can you see that in his life? Can you see that in the different teachings that he gives? He was comfortable surrounded by those that he knew needed to be brought back to God. And he also knew that it wasn't going to happen unless he was the bridge in that life. So let me pause just a minute. Let me pause and make a correlation to our church family. Have you ever thought of our church as being a road that leads others across a bridge of grace? Our church is a road that leads others across a bridge of grace where every ministry and every assembly and every class and every small group and every smile and every welcome and every conversation has the potential to lead someone back to God because our church family serves as a conduit to grace. It's what we are. It's who we are. Therefore, everything we do from the coffee that we share in full cup. How many of you guys have enjoyed coming to full cup over these last few months? Hasn't that been great to be able to come early and to get the cup of coffee and the donuts and to sit and stand and walk and talk and spend time with individuals, just the smiles? I don't know about you, but man, it really uplifts me before I come into here to uplift God. And everything we do, from that coffee that we share to the lessons that we teach in the prisons, to our small group gatherings, to the monetary givings. Everything we do should all be done with the intent of walking someone across a bridge of grace. You say, well, why do we? The answer is because we want someone who does not know God to know God. Say, well, why do we? Because we want someone who is far away from Jesus to be brought closer to Jesus. Well, why do we? Because we are so concerned about those who are outside the body of Christ that we inside the body will humble ourselves and we will go to any length and any sacrifice other than sin in order to make sure that people can walk across a bridge of grace. Because that's who we are as a church family. We are a conduit to grace. But guess what? Not everybody feels that way. Not everybody thinks that's what church and church family should be. Standing outside of the sacred gathering were the religious icons of the community. The teachers of the law, the Pharisees, the good people. Even if they had been invited to Matthew's party, they would never dream of entering a sinner's home because it would compromise their ceremonial purity. 
One touch from a sinner like Matthew, and they would be spending all day having to wash for hours. For this group, sin was a communicable disease. So it was always best just to keep one's distance and just to stay separated. And so they huddled around themselves together, off in the corner, and they gave disparaging glances towards those who were at the party. And they grumbled, and they gossiped, and they complained. And they asked some of Jesus' disciples, why does your teacher eat with people who aren't like him? Now, the way they put it, they said, why is he eating with tax collectors and sinners? But really what they're asking is, why is your teacher not eating with church people? Why is, why is your teacher not, why, why, why is your teacher spending time with people who do not believe as he believes and act as he acts? They just couldn't wrap their mind around it. You see, we must assume that they asked because they really didn't understand how a man who claimed to be from God would get so close to those who were nothing like God. How was it that a man who was nothing like Matthew seemed to actually like Matthew? They didn't have a category for this. And they didn't have any patience for it either. And so Jesus heard their objections. And so he sent them a message. And he says, it's not the healthy who need a doctor but the sick. Now, he's playing on their categories here for a moment. He's playing on their own categories because they assumed that they were the ones who were healthy. They assumed that they were the ones who were fine and that Matthew and all of his people, well, those were the ones that were sick. We know who the healthy are. We know who the sick are. And Jesus then quoted an Old Testament passage that would have been familiar to the Pharisees. It's listed in Matthew chapter 9 in Greek, but he would have quoted from the Hebrew text, Hosea chapter 6 and verse 6, where it says, I desire mercy, not sacrifice. And he would have used a word that in that language described God's grace. And so as he is talking to these Pharisees, he would tell them, I desire grace, not sacrifice. It's like, what's the point? What are you getting at? Well, he had a one-word mission statement for them. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. And when calling the sinners, I will err on the side of grace. Always. You see, here Jesus used the terms righteous and sinners with pointed sarcasm. It was his way of saying, I haven't come to call the people that you think I've come to call. I didn't come to hang out with the people that you think I probably came to hang out with. I came to be with the people who truly understand their need for God, that are in the middle of their lostness, and don't try to prop it up, and don't try to hide it, and don't try to mask it, and don't try to pretend that I don't need God. I came for somebody else. And if we could just freeze that moment in time, I think we'll be left with a very startling and perhaps uncomfortable truth. Grace is inviting to the unrighteous, but it's threatening to the self-righteous. The unrighteous hear that there is an opportunity to be brought closer to God, and it fills them with joy. The self-righteous hear that it's not about them, 
and they become worried and afraid. See, as Matthew and his new friends traipsed along with Jesus from city to city, they would see only one thing that raised Jesus' ire, the one thing that really got him going, and that was graceless religion. His conflict was not with Rome. It was always with the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the teachers of the law. Those are the ones who knew the stories the best. Those are the ones who knew the law of God. Those were the ones who had been tasked by God to be the caretakers of His direction and of the stories and to be able to share that narrative with individuals. It was their responsibility to keep the narrative of God's activity through Israel front and center, and it was to be there in the minds of the people. But in this, they had failed. And on their watch, there emerged a form of Judaism that was almost completely void of grace. And it was this graceless religion that surfaced in Jesus a righteous anger. And it put him oftentimes at odds with the religious elite. And if you wonder, why was Jesus crucified? It's because he made the self-righteous angry. Because he was saying the people no longer had to go through them to get to God. The people didn't have to jump through their hoops. That God was now present in the flesh. They leveraged the power of Rome, their sworn enemy. They broke their own laws. And in doing so, they silenced the voice of grace. But just for a moment. You see, Matthew had a ringside seat for all of this. And he was there when the news came back from the ladies who had gone to the tomb. Later he would see and he would touch and he would eat and he would worship a risen Jesus. And he would be given the privilege of penning a gospel. And it's not surprising, I think, that in that gospel, Matthew penned something that has become known world around. And you don't have to have a lot of background in the church. You've probably heard a kind of a phrase that's been attached to this particular passage where he records a statement of Jesus. Maybe you know it as the Great Commission. But I think it would be better entitled the Grace Commission. For before Jesus left this earth, he looks at his disciples and he says, therefore go and make disciples of all nations baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teach these new disciples to obey all the commands that I have given you. I just picture my mind as Matthew is putting this, putting this down for others to be able to consume, that he had to have a smile when he came to the part that talked about all nations, because that meant it was a message for everybody. But maybe the phrase that connected with him the most was the one that said, make disciples. Literally, that means to make followers. That's what it says, create followers. And that's exactly what Jesus had done with him. He had made him a follower because of two simple words. Follow me. Do you understand that transformation doesn't begin with a command, but with an invitation? Follow me. It's an invitation that Matthew now understood and that he was extending to everyone. And friends, it's the same invitation that we offer today. We encourage others to join us here at East Brainerd as we follow Jesus. 
And, and if you're not connected to any type of spiritual community, of any type of Jesus followers, then we want to encourage you to join with us in the following of Jesus Christ. Now, for those of you who have been church people a long time, there's certain terminology that oftentimes we use and that we can sometimes misunderstand. Do you know that in the New Testament, it is absent of examples where Christians placed membership with a local congregation? You don't find it in the Bible anywhere. Either you were a follower of Christ or you were not. And his followers, as you read through Scripture, met regularly for encouragement. And they engaged in acts of mercy and compassion. They died to sin by being baptized. And they ordered their lives around the kingdom ethic of Jesus Christ. And they went all out and encouraged other people to do the same. And as followers of Jesus, we also seek to order our lives around that very same kingdom ethic. And we want to actively engage in calling others to submit their lives to Jesus Christ, to go across that bridge, so to speak, and be brought closer to God. You see, our utmost desire is that you will choose to follow. Yet here's something that we understand, even if we don't always verbalize. We understand this with our own children. The journey of faith and repentance takes time. And an individual often form a connection with a group of Christ followers before he or she makes a decision to become a follower of Christ. You've seen that with your own children, right? As, as you've been bringing them to be a part here and they would say, this is my church family, this is where I'm learning to follow. And so here's what this means for our East Brainerd family. We are all in the disciple-making business. Leveraging our time and our talent and our money and our ministry and encouraging others to walk beside Jesus Christ. And we recognize that individuals and families who wish to join us on this journey of learning and practicing the way of Jesus are at different levels and are at different places. Therefore, we don't expect them all to be at the same level of spirituality or understanding. So, for example... We don't expect each person who asks, can this be my church home, to have made the decision yet to be baptized. And that's okay. Jesus said that a prerequisite for baptism was being a follower. He didn't say that a prerequisite for following was being baptized. Let's make sure we, we don't twist Jesus' command. We are a family of followers. And many of us have reenacted the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus by being baptized. But some have not reached that point in their faith of trusting Jesus for their salvation. Now one thing we do not do here, we do not baptize anyone into the East Brainerd Church of Christ. We don't have biblical authority to baptize anyone into this church. But we will without hesitation call everyone to be baptized into Christ Jesus. Recognizing that baptism is presented in Scripture as the natural response of a follower of Jesus. But whether you are a Christian for many years or just beginning your walk with Christ, or maybe you're just exploring the teachings of Christianity, we want you to be connected with our church family so that we can nurture one another as this journey begins for you and as we journey together. And so we invite you to join our family as we seek to love God and share His grace. And we do this 
And we offer the invitation to follow so that more and more individuals will walk across the bridge of grace and come to know God more intimately. See, Jesus' invitation for Matthew to become a follower combined with his presence at Matthew's home confirmed beyond a shadow of a doubt that grace is not earned, it is offered. And the tension between the self-righteous and the self-exiled did not stop. It did not stop in biblical times. It's a tension that is still present today. And so maybe now would be a good time just to stop and ask yourself, to which side of the aisle do I tend to lend? If you've been invited to Matthew's party, would you have been a bit conflicted? Would your first inclination be to stand on the outside and wonder? Would you wonder why Jesus would fellowship with sinners before confronting their sin? Would you be concerned that by not addressing the sin that Jesus was somehow condoning it? Or would you lean the other way? You receive the invitation from Matthew. And you think, I can't go there. Jesus is going to be there. I'm not righteous. So would you, in shame, stand on the outside? Would you stand on the outside hoping that Jesus did not catch eye contact with you? After all, you know who you are and what you pretend to be. And to be in the presence of pure righteousness, you'd just be crazy, right? See, here's what I believe. I think there's a little Pharisee in all of us. And I think there's a lot of Matthew in us. You see, we are judgmental of certain types of behaviors. We are judgmental of certain types of people. And then we turn around and we put ourselves in time out. Self-afflicted exile because of something that we have done, thinking we can no longer go into the presence of God. But in either case, we step into what is a very well, just a well-worn path of graceless religion. Either way you choose, you find yourself further from the grace of God. Because after all, think about it. The flip side of I'm not worthy is, but if I try just a little bit harder, I could be. See, here's what I think. Here's what I think Matthew would tell us after watching Jesus. There's a third way. There's a third way. After the self-righteousness, after the unrighteousness, he would say there's a way of grace. And the way of grace is offered, not earned. And it is offered, Matthew says, to all people, regardless of who they are. And so when you catch yourselves bouncing back and forth between judging others and condemning yourself, pause and remember that you can't be good enough. And you don't have to be. That's the way of grace. And so here's the grace commission. Would you be willing to consider following Jesus? Would you be willing to consider following Jesus and and listening to his teachings and, and his commands? Because let's be honest, you've tried it your way for a long time. And how you feeling? 
Where has it gotten you? So what could it hurt to follow Jesus? What could it hurt to be one of his disciples? Now, you know, you could be here this morning and it's been months or maybe a couple of years and you've said, you know, I've I've been doing this following thing and I've been listening to Jesus and, and I've been watching his disciples and I'm ready to go all in and trust him for my salvation. If that's where you are in your fellowship, then I want to invite you to be baptized into Christ this morning. I want to invite you to be baptized and to be given a new life and to breathe in the essence of grace. But if you're not there yet, I still call you to follow Jesus. And I want to invite you to be a part of our church family as together we follow And I want you to learn from those who have been following a long time. And I want you to ask questions of those that you set aside in Bible class and those that you go into their home for small group. And I want you to to get into God's Word and I want you to allow that Word to get into you because we're all at different places in the journey. If you're a follower of Jesus this morning and if you're one of those baptized followers There are commands that you have been given throughout your life that God has placed upon you, commands that you have found through Scripture, and you know whether or not you are living up to the fellowship of Christ. And you know whether or not you are out asking others to walk across that bridge. And you know whether or not you are continuing to have your eyes focused on Jesus. And maybe what you need to do this morning is not is not come and say, you know what, I need to be baptized again. No, no, no. Maybe you just need to come and say, church family, I need strength and I need need this family to pray for me that I would have the courage tomorrow when I walk back into the office to have my eyes on Jesus and to again follow in the way that he leads. We're all at different places. But I'm thankful for this church family. For each and every one of us is a picture in the gallery of grace. For the last few weeks, we've been walking through Scripture, and we've been looking at different portraits in the Old and New Testament, and we have been seeing pictures of God's grace, but some of the best pictures of grace can be seen in this very room. You are the portraits of what the grace of God can do. Allow that grace to continue to transform you into the very image of the one that you follow. And if this morning this church family can help you in any way, then we encourage you to come as together we stand and give praise to our God.